So Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be servants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Uh, a little over a week ago, I got some very, very good news. Uh, I found out that I was going to get to spend the night at my in-laws. Now, for some of you, that might not be good news. For me, that's very good news. And I, I, I like my in-laws, but it's not the staying with my in-laws bit of that that I find particularly attractive. My, my in-laws are staying at the moment. They're at home making a roast for me and some friends. So they are top quality in-laws in the scale of things. But, but the reason I was excited wasn't about going and staying with my in-laws. It's that my uh, in-laws live in a, a town called Warsaw. Warsaw is a small town on the outskirts of Birmingham, not in the middle of Poland. And Warsaw uh, has uh, very, very little to commend itself, apart from one thing. It has a restaurant there called Golden Moments, where every moment is golden. <laughs> They've not got that on their sign, but I'm willing to sell them that slogan for a small price. There's a restaurant there called Golden Moments, and Golden Moments sells the best Indian food in the whole of the West, East, whatever Midlands part of the world you find yourself in. And that's a lofty claim for somewhere so close to Birmingham, but Golden Moments is absolutely exceptional. And I found out a week before I had to go that I was going to get to sit in Golden Moments and eat some of my favorite foods. Now, now, Golden Moments does lots of things excellently. It does a fantastic um, tikka masala, a brilliant biryani, but, 
but there's one thing above all things that golden moments, where every moment is a golden one, truly excels. It makes the best clay pot chicken you will ever eat. Now, lots of you look blank, and that's, that's a good reason, because the only place you can get a clay pot chicken is at Golden Moments. And it has just the perfect blend of spices. It's got um, fresh coriander and ginger. It's got just the right uh, level of heat so that I can feel like a man for eating it, but not so much that it makes me cry like a small child who's had their toys stolen. It, uh, it does everything that I need it to do. It's the most delicious curry I have ever and I will ever eat. So whenever I find out that we're going to stay at my in-laws, that's good news, partly because we'll get to see them, but mainly because we're going to get to go and eat at golden moments where every moment is a golden one. There we go. It'll catch on. The more I say it, the more, the more valuable it becomes, the more money I'll get when I flog it to golden moments. But I, I had a whole week of looking forward to this curry. Uh, thinking about um, the slightly tacky interior of the restaurant, uh, about the pressoiry naan bread that I would eat with it, about all the different flavors and different spices. And I got so excited about this small bowl of curry that I was going to eat. Came to the Thursday night, um, and we went to the, the pub before just to draw out the anticipation of the moment of my satisfaction. Uh, and we uh, walked in through the door of Golden Moments, and I realized I'd forgotten one crucial detail. Thursday night was buffet night. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been burnt by Indian buffets before. I've been to Golden Moments, and I've um, decided to ignore the clay pot chicken and have the buffet, and the buffet is always second rate to the clay pot chicken, but I thought it's always worth exploring the option of the buffet, even if all you're going to do is dismiss it, isn't it? So I, I went and I cast my eye along the buffet, and there were all the normal favorites, like poppadoms and white chicken tikka and all the classic hits, and there was some kind of misc vegetarian curry that it's always best to ignore. And then I got to the final silver dish. And what did I find in the final silver dish? But as much clay pot chicken as I could ever possibly eat. And in that moment, my whole horizon changed. Uh, until then, it had been just about me and this small bowl of clay pot chicken, the best curry I could, I could ever eat. And then suddenly I realized there was a whole world out there full of more clay pot chicken than I could ever possibly eat. And I realized that I could gorge myself on that delicious blend of spices, the ginger, the coriander. I could have as much Peshwari naan bread as I could ever eat. Peshwari naan is the king of all the naans. It's unbelievably delicious. And I got um, so excited, and I sat down, and I ate as much as I could ever possibly eat. Here's the link. The first three <laughs> chapters... The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about um, us and our relationship with God. It's all about what God has done uh, for us and in us. It says that God breaks down every dividing wall. It's all about us and our relationship with God. And then from chapter four onwards, you think you're getting just you and your one dish of clay pot chicken. And then suddenly it becomes an all-you-can-eat buffet 
because from chapter four onwards, it's about us together as a community. It stops being about me and mine, and it becomes about us and ours. Together, uh, we get to enjoy the fullness of God. Paul is going to spend the majority of uh, the next, uh, the majority of this book, talking about the importance of community, the importance of us discovering it together. That we're not alone. That we're not isolated. And what we thought we were getting was a, a portion made for one, but now we have more than we could ever possibly eat. For Paul, our faith, our relationship with God should bring about the transformation of everything that we are. Absolutely everything. It brings a new identity for each of us. It brings a whole new moral and ethical way of living. It transforms the way that we look at the world around us, the way that we treat people. Uh, everything gets completely changed and completely transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. If you've put your trust in Jesus, that means that you have been made brand new. You have been made brand new. There's not a scratch on you. There's not a stain. There's not a blemish. You have been made brand new. Your old way of living, your old way of thinking, your old way of engaging with the world has been completely unpicked, completely removed from you. And now as you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the old has gone, the new has come. You have been made a new creation. But you've not been made a new creation just on your own, but as you've been loved and restored, you've been placed in a loved and restored community. Uh, we live in a culture and a context that wants to say that faith is a private matter, that you close the door and it's all about you and your God and what you believe and you leave that at home behind your closed door. For Paul, that's a completely absurd thing to say. For Paul, our faith and our relationship with God has to flow out into community. It can't be just an individual pursuit, but it's about us together as a community, us together corporately working out our faith, working out what it is that we believe. As we go through this passage this morning, I think that Paul is drawing out three things. I think that uh, he's calling each of us uh, to live worthy, to live worthy of the calling that we've received. Uh, he's calling us to be united with one another, and then finally to take responsibility for our faith. Live worthy, be united, take responsibility. Uh, in the first verse uh, of our passage this morning, uh, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Uh, he wants the way that you and me live uh, to match up with the calling on each of our lives. For the way that we live to be a reflection of the calling that we've received. Uh, he's not saying live worthy so you can be called Live worthy so that God will call you, God will love you. But he's saying that you have been called, therefore let your life be a reflection of that calling. Now, each of us has a calling on our life. You have a calling, God has called you. And the calling on your life isn't the job that you do. The calling on your life that Paul's talking about here isn't to be a teacher it's not to go and work in a business to take care of your children. To, it's none of that. The calling on each of our lives is the same. Uh, your calling is the same as my calling. 
I might go and do a different job to you, a different vocation, it gets expressed slightly differently, but the calling on each of our lives is the same. And we find it in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The calling on our lives is for us to love God and to love people. To love God and to love people. It's not more complicated. It's not more impressive. You might want a calling that will get you a, a platform or make you more impressive. or make, it's, it's none of those things. The calling on our lives is that we love God and that we love God people. So does the way that you live reflect that calling on your life? Does the way that you live reflect the calling on your life to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? In other words, with everything that you have, love God. Does the way that you live reflect that? And does the way that you live reflect the call on your life for you to love people around you? It's not more complicated, it's not more difficult, we can't find more um, get-out clauses or loopholes in that, but very simply, the calling on each of our lives here today is for us to love God and for us to love people. So are you doing that? Does your life bear the fruit of someone who is loving God and loving people? Does the calling on your life match up with the way that you live? Is there consistency, is there integrity in all of that? We've been called to love God and to love people. And immediately after uh, challenging the Ephesians to live in a way that reflects their calling, he, he says these words. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Uh, when we live our calling, part of the fruit of that is an increase in gentleness. Uh, there's an increase in humility, in peace and in patience in each of us. Uh, does your life reflect that? Uh, as you follow Jesus, as you fall more in love with God and more in love with people, are you increasingly humble? Are you increasingly gentle? Are you increasingly patient? Is that traje the trajectory you recognize in your life? You're not doing that so that you can be called or be loved by God, but as you recognize God has loved you, he's called you. To love God and to love people, are you becoming increasingly kind, increasingly patient, increasingly humble? Sometimes we can be a bit irritable and a bit spiky with people. Are you growing beyond that? Are you growing more and more into the person that God's calling you to be? It's really easy for us to get caught up in success and status, in trying to do the best and be the best and reach the top of the tree, but but the values that God's calling us to live by are around putting other people's needs before ourselves. Are you loving people before you seek to meet your own needs, your own agenda? Are you becoming more and more, day by day, the person that God is calling you to be? Are you living in a way that reflects your calling? Paul puts this right at the start of our passage this morning, because if we're not living worthy, uh, then we're going to find the second part of what he's calling us to really hard. He says, live worthy. And then he goes into talking about uh, how we handle ourselves in the context of community. 
says, if you can't uh, work out your own grace, if you can't fall more in love with God and more in love with people, uh, then you're going to find living in community like he's calling you to really difficult. We're called to live worthy. Uh, And as we live worthy, the overflow of that uh, is that we're united in community. Uh, Paul says, uh, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul says, make sure that you're living in a way that reflects your calling, but that as you do that, that's not an individual pursuit. And that's not something that you do on your own, in isolation, but together as a community, uh, we work that out and we start to understand it. You've not been called to live worthily on your own, but in the context of a loved and loving community. Uh, everything about this um, would have highlighted that to the Ephesian church. Uh, they wouldn't have uh, read this letter on their own, in their bedroom, with the door closed, but when this letter was first read out, uh, the the church in Ephesus would have gathered together and they would have heard it read as a community. Together, they would have heard this read. And as they heard it read, they would look around and they would see people who shared one faith, one belief in God, one baptism. Uh, Everything about it would point to this being a community activity. Not one person on their own, but all of us together. Not me and mine, but us and ours. Uh, We live in a culture that tells us to strike out on our own. Uh, to run as fast as we can, as far as we can, as hard as we can, and to try and make ourselves as successful as possible. Uh, That kind of individualistic, self-centered thinking is the complete opposite to the gospel. Uh, It's in complete opposition. If we're trying to work out how uh, we can uh, succeed all the time, how we can win, but we're not trying to engage the community, we're trying to do it together, that is the complete opposite of the calling of the gospel. Uh, We see it happen across society where people disengage from community, where people disappear behind uh, smartphones and social media and screens, where uh, governments pursue foreign policies that are about isolation and separation rather than about greater connection. Uh, We're called into greater connection. Uh, Paul says, make every effort. If Paul's telling us to make every effort, we can assume that's because what he's calling us to is hard. Living in community is really difficult because people can be really, really annoying. I remember when I was 17 years old, and um, I have an identical twin, and we were, um, I can't remember what we were fighting about, but we got into a bit of a scrap. And um, at some point, the kind of verbal scrap turned into a physical scrap. And at some point in between there and the end of it, I ended up chasing him down the stairs. And um, I... I kind of ran down the stairs and I was, um, I was looking for a weapon and, um, and I found what I was looking for uh, in the wicker basket that mum used to keep at the bottom of the stairs. So I, I chased after him down the stairs and without breaking stride, I grabbed the wicker basket, scooped it up and I started swinging for him with the wicker basket. In hindsight, it's not quite the picture of uh, masculinity that I wanted with a, a wicker basket with mum's car keys as my weapon, but I I started swinging for him with a wicker basket, and I realized that wasn't going to get me anywhere. I wasn't going to make the connection that I really wanted to make. So I I threw the wicker basket to the side, and I just swung for him with my right fist, and I landed clean on his jaw, and he fell in a heap. I would love to say that he fell in the heap 
because my blow was so pure and so hard. I think he mainly fell over because he was very shocked. I caught him clean on the jaw. Living in community is really, really hard. People can be deeply annoying. And that doesn't, I, I don't endorse grabbing whisker, wicker baskets or trying to lamp people on the jaw or whatever, but, but living in community is really, really difficult. People can be hard to live with. Paul is saying, make every effort because this thing is going to be difficult. There are going to be times when people here annoy the heck out of you. I know. I get annoyed sometimes. It can be deeply annoying and deeply frustrating. Maybe someone here has wound you up. Maybe they've really upset you. I am. A little while ago, someone really annoyed me. They really upset me. And whenever I saw that person, I had that kind of feeling in the pit of my stomach of, you've hurt me and I'm annoyed at you. I don't know if you've ever been wound up at someone, whenever you see them, that feeling of bitterness and resentment comes up inside you. And whenever you see them, you're reminded of what they've done and what they said and the way that they hurt you. And you have to make a decision in that moment to fight it and not give in to it, to not let bitterness and resentment ruin that relationship. Paul's saying, make every effort because this is difficult. This is hard. People can be annoying and they can upset and offenders, but Paul's saying, make every effort, preserve the unity. And as we do that, we need to remember that as people annoy and upset us, we annoy and we upset other people. Maybe a month after I'd lamped my brother squarely on the jaw, the dog was sick in the kitchen. And um, for some, somehow we had a, a big fight, me, my brother, and my sister, about whose responsibility it was to clean up the dog's sick. And me and my sister decided that it definitely wasn't ours, and if it wasn't ours, it must be his. So I remember um, pinning the, door, the kitchen door shut and saying, you don't leave until you cleaned up the dog sick. And my brother lamped me squarely on the jaw, and I, I bit through my tongue. And I can remember now looking in the mirror and seeing it's not very nice. Uh, I am deeply annoying sometimes. As much as my brother annoyed me, I annoyed him. We, we live in a community where we each have to learn to live with each other's quirks and foibles. We have to uh, learn that we're going to upset people and they're going to upset us and we have to work out together how we're going to stay united through it all. And maybe there's someone here and you've annoyed them and they've annoyed you and you need to work out together how you're going to let the offence go. How you're going to let bygones be bygones. Not that the relationship necessarily looks exactly the same, but that together you get to move forward in peace and in harmony. Paul says, make every effort because this is going to be difficult. But then he, he goes on to outline some of the positives of that. This is why he thinks it's important for us to preserve that unity. Uh, verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the people for, his, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, we need to fight to preserve unity uh, because when we are together, when we're united together, we are the fullest expression of Jesus. Uh, when we're united together, we are the fullest expression of Jesus. 
On my own, I carry a part of the image of God. But when we come together, when we bring our own giftedness, when we bring our own abilities, when we bring the fullness of who we are, that's when we attain to the full measure of Christ. It's not an individual going off and doing it on their own, but together when we gather, we bear and we can attain to the full measure of Christ. Paul lists a load of gifts there. Prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. Another parts of scripture, there are other gifts listed. For this community to be everything that God is calling it to be, that means that each of us here today has to play our parts. We have to bring our own gifts and our own giftedness. We live in a culture and a society that says um, to gain uh, maturity is about becoming independent. Uh, We have to learn how to do it our own way. We move out of our parents' home. We uh, get our own jobs. We pay our own bills. We do our own washing. We uh, learn how to do all of life together. And when we've attained that, that's when we become mature. And maturity is about becoming independent. Uh, The Bible says that that's not what maturity is. And maturity is about becoming interdependent. And maturity is about recognizing that each of us has gifts. Each of us has something to contribute and that we can't do it on our own. I need you to bring every gift that you've got and you need me to bring every gift that I've got. We each need to bring whatever it is that God has given us so that together we can attain to the full measure of Christ. We can't do it on our own in isolation. Paul puts maturity and living in community in the same basket. It's not a wicker basket to hit your brother with, but he puts them together side by side and says, these two things need to work together. Maturity is not about independence, but it's about learning to live in community, about recognizing that you have something to contribute, but that you also need other people to contribute everything that they've got. So are you standing on the edges of this community? Are you holding yourself back? Maybe because someone annoyed you or upset you or offended you. Are you holding back? Are you standing on the edge of this community, not contributing everything that you have? If you are, then that means that everybody loses. Everybody loses. You lose because you don't get to bring your gift. You don't get to bring the thing that God's given you to bring. And we lose because we don't get the benefit of it. Paul says, if you're going to attain the full measure of Christ, you do that together. You do that in community. Are you bringing everything that you are? Are you part of a connect group? Are you getting to know people? Are you building relationships? Are you uh, letting you be discovered for who you are? Or are you standing on the edges, on the fringes? Are you letting upset or disappointment or irritation get in the way of you uh, taking your place here? Paul says, live worthy. Uh, be the, uh, live in a way that reflects the calling that you have on your lives to love people and to love God. And as you do that, part of the expression of that is that you stay focused on remaining united in community. Whether it's easy or difficult, you bring everything that you have and everything that God has given you. But in the context of that, Paul leaves us uh, with a reminder that we need to take responsibility. He closes with these words. He says, uh, then, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their own deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So we live in a manner that's worthy of our calling. 
Uh, we live in a way that reflects our call to love God and to love people. As we do that, that flows out into a, a focusing on the importance of community, on staying in good relationships with each other. There's a, a reminder at the end that we need to uh, take responsibility. Uh, we need to stop being like infants. And one of the ways we do that is expressed through community. But uh, one of the markers that Paul puts down here is he says, uh, then you'll be able to discern deceit from truth. Uh, when you attain maturity, you'll be able to discern deceit from truth. If you're going to uh, recognize deceits, you've got to know the truth. So are you uh, deliberately choosing to pursue truth? Uh, are you spending time with God? Uh, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you um, engaging in good, healthy spiritual disciplines? Uh, are you uh, recognizing that your relationship with God isn't somebody else's responsibility? Uh, it's not um, good enough for us to say, oh, well, I will um, attend to that when. I will... Um, I used to say, oh, I'll, I'll read my Bible when my, um, when my flat is perfectly cleaned. Or um, I will pray when this particular thing is neatly sorted out. But, but when we do that, we just create another excuse after that and another excuse. And at some point, we've got to take responsibility for our own faith and focus on pursuing truth. Uh, are you doing that? Are you pursuing truth? Are you taking responsibility for your own faith? It happens in the context of community, but no one lives our lives for us. No one lives our faith out for us. We get to decide who it is that we want to be, what we want to stand for, what we want to value. So are you making a decision to pursue truth so that you will no longer be like an infant, unable to know uh, deceit from truth? So we're called to live lives that reflect our calling, to reflect our love for God and our love for people. And people should be able to recognize that in us. And as we do that, that flows out into community. Uh, even when people are irritating and annoying and they upset us, uh, we're called to reconcile and to find peace with one another. As we do that, we bring our giftings, we bring everything that we are, the fullness of who God's made us to be, so that together as a community, we can attain the fullness of Christ. And as we do that, we remember that it's, it's still our responsibility, it's still our faith, it's still our journey, it's still our walk, and that we need to pursue the truth. We need to pursue Jesus. Amen.